Morning, everyone. To those that are online, good to have you with us this morning as well, too. Hey, uh, over at Eagle Hawk campus this morning, we were celebrating. We're honouring God, and uh, at the same time, we were celebrating uh, Pastor AJ, who's done 10 years of ministry at Bendigo Baptist Church, which is very, very significant. I had to leave and rush off as they were about to enjoy some uh, lemon cake together, and I'm quite disappointed about all of that, actually, at this point in time. But uh, no, we are. We're celebrating. Uh, AJ came to us. Uh, well, he actually came back to... He was in Bendigo about 11 or 12 years ago. He'd been a pastor in the Bunbury Church of Christ, uh, and then uh, they decided to come across here. Jill was from Bendigo, been raised here, spent some time with the family, discerning what that next season of their life looked like in ministry. And while it was here, uh, we had a role that finished up. AJ had been attending here in the nights with his family, and uh, he ended up applying for the job, and the rest is history. He was our Connect and Care pastor for nine years before our Eagle Hawk campus stole him away from the... No, it didn't really steal him away. Part of the team, and uh, we're thrilled. It's just been, he's just flourishing over there in his role uh, as the campus pastor as well, too, building on that great legacy that uh, Brock had laid over the last several years. So, so uh, we will uh, celebrate that with him in our members' meeting. You might see him around here grabbing a sausage afterwards uh, with some lemon cake still around the sides of his mouth. Uh, make sure you thank him and uh, just congratulate him. Ten years. I told him, mate, you've got at least another 15 years of ministry here, uh, and you can't go before I go as well, too. So uh, we are really grateful to God uh, for the life of AJ. So, Hey, over the past few weeks, uh, uh, we've been in a series called Like Him. Uh, one of the things that we do at the start of each year is that we swing into a series. We, we always bring ourselves back to remind ourselves of what does it look like for us as individuals, men and women, younger and older, boys, girls, whatever it might be. What's that look like for us uh, on this discipleship journey as we follow Jesus? Uh, and so uh, we're in a series called Like Him, and uh, we've kind of got a kind of connected into the, the book of Ephesians, this, this letter that Paul wrote to the believers in the city of Ephesus. Uh, and uh, we, we kind of camp in that book because, or in that letter because it actually gives us a good representation of uh, some of these different relational environments that we grow in and that God uses in our lives to grow us up to become more and more like Christ. Why do we do it every year? Well, I don't know about you, I'm like a sieve, I, I leak. So uh, I need to be reminded and we all need to be reminded of what's this discipleship journey look like as we endeavor to be disciples that also make disciples. What's it look like to be like him? This uh, picture that's going to go up on the screens for us is, is kind of a, a really, it's a graphic representation of, of what it looks like for uh, when we talk about these different home environments, what does it look like uh, in this journey? Paul, Paul's addressing some of these environments. On week one, we talked about the abiding sphere. We talked about the importance of our abiding relationship with Christ. That apart from Christ, we actually can't do anything of anything. It's not that we can't do anything, but we can't do anything of eternal value. In John chapter 15, verse 5, uh, Jesus said he was with his disciples just before he was about to go. And he's, he's speaking into their lives, endeavoring to help them to understand what this is going to look like for them. And you know, he, he talks about being the vine and the branches. And that's what he says in John 15, 5. Apart from me, apart from your connection to me, you can't do anything of eternal value. And so for us as believers, that abiding sphere is so incredibly important. 
It's in that space. That's why it sits in the middle of this picture that it's, as we abide with Christ, uh, it, it, it's in this abiding relationship, the Holy Spirit gives us the power. He enables us to then live well in these other spheres of our lives that Christ is growing us up in. Last weekend, uh, we talked about the church. Pastor Trina talked about this church environment and how God uses that as well too. Uh, she helped us to see that as we abide with our relationship with Christ, and then as we abide in relationship with other people in the church, God uses that to grow us up spiritually. In other words, this connection to Christ's body, it's as, as seen here in this room, uh, online as we gather in that environment as well too, as we gather together in connection with Christ's body, the church, it plays an important role of growing us up. It's the way in which he works. Today, I want to spend some moments just talking about another relational environment that we see in the book of Ephesians. We've talked about abiding with Christ. We've got the church environment. We've, got the, uh, we've also got the home environments. Paul speaks a lot about this. You know, why is this fear so important in our lives? Well, let's be honest. It's our home environment where we end up interacting or where God lays some of the foundational stuff in our lives for what it looks like uh, to uh, have godly, uh, spirit-filled lives, relationships as men, women, husbands, wives, parents, grandparents, kids. He gives us a bit of a glimpse. Now, in the book of Ephesians, I don't think he's talking to every relational environment, but he kind of focuses on those ones. And he reminds us that as we embrace his role, his design for how we should live out our lives, that this is where life then goes well for us in our homes and in other relational environments that we're in. And so this morning, we, if you've got your Bible, your device, Ephesians chapter 5, 21, we're going to camp there for the rest of our time together today. We're going to kind of move into Ephesians 6 as well too, because it's in this home sphere, this family sphere that we learn some really valuable information. Now, if you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'm not, uh, I'm not a husband or a wife, uh, I'm not a parent, then this is not for me. And I want to say this is for all of us. Because what's going on here is that, is that Paul is, is addressing all these important relational environments. And I think this is even more crucial regardless of what background we might come from, whether we come from a, a two-parent background, a single-parent background, uh, a home that didn't know what it was like to follow Jesus, or a home that you grew up that didn't know like to follow Jesus, whether you've got kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you're single, or whether you're married. We need to hear this. Because it's in this space that, that uh, God is reminding us through the teaching of Paul, what, do they, what, what does it look like to, 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 to have godly, spirit-filled relationships in these different areas and to live all of that out? I don't know whether you've noticed uh, in our culture, but you turn TV on, you put Netflix on or stand or something, whatever it might be, whatever device you're watching, and it doesn't take long to realize that we are very demeaning in our culture of our different relationships. Men dominating, ruling over women in, in very unhealthy ways. Women kind of saying, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not having anything to do with any of that kind of stuff. And, and in fact, making fun of men. You know, if there's a time in which the roles of men are becoming more and more demeaned, it's in our culture today. And so the teaching of Paul, if it was relevant to the people living in Ephesus who were new believers, it is certainly important for us today. And so we want to push into this sphere. 
into what does it look like for us to live out godly lives in this home environment. Now, as we read this letter, now it's, we've got to remind ourselves, this is somebody else's letter. Okay? Do you know, you know when you, 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 someone sends you an email and it's directed to, Dear Dave, well, it's coming to me. Uh, if my staff were to come in and to read my email, they would know, oh, well, this is not for me, or in that sense, it's being directed at Dave. Well, in a similar sense, this letter was directed to a group of people, a group of young believers, new to the faith, living in the city of Ephesus. Now, it's certainly got principles for us, but it was directed to another group of people. And we've got to understand where this group of people were living. I mean, they were growing up in kind of what we would now know today as Turkey, but in the city of Ephesus, and it was a completely pagan environment. And these men and women were coming to faith in Christ out of this environment, beginning to follow Jesus, and they were clueless on what it meant, what it looked like to be a godly man or a godly woman, what it meant to have a, a godly, uh, to be a godly wife or to be a godly husband, what it looked like to be a parent, grandparent, or even to be a child in this environment. The culture that we've kind of got today was still vastly different to that culture, and this is what Paul is writing into. Now, in saying that, that doesn't mean that it doesn't apply to us today because there are principles in that that we want to take out of it. But as we begin to read this letter, we have to, to do it with that kind of background in mind. Does that make sense? And in Ephesians 5.21, after Paul has been talking about what it looks like to live a godly life, talking about being filled with the Spirit and what a Spirit-filled life looks like, in verse 21, he says these words. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, what's he saying? Well, in essence, he's saying that, the, that a godly or a spirit-filled life is marked by mutual submission to one another. And the willingness to submit is done out of reverence or respect for Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but the minute that word submission or submit is thrown around in our culture today, there is an immediate, isn't there? Uh, quite often there is an immediate kind of a, uh, the hair wants to stand up on the back of our necks a little bit. You're thinking, oh, hang on a second. Who's, t- who's telling me to do what? I mean, we're not that far removed from a couple of years ago with COVID. You might have heard different people at different times saying, you know what? Well, I'm not going to be submitting to any government around here, particularly right here in the state of Victoria. Or uh, you, you might have uh, heard in other contexts, you know, it might even be in your own teaching environment or school or where you're learning. Oh, I, don't want to, uh, I don't want to kind of obey that or submit to that particular person. Or even on TV, this is where you will have heard it. You'll have heard either some uh, woman or man being demeaning or derogatory of another. And it happens all the time. And so we suddenly hear this word submit, where Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence or respect for Christ. And I don't know, we feel a little uneasy because of what our culture says to us. What was Paul meaning by this? Well, I think the reason that we struggle with this, maybe first and foremost, well, we struggle with this notion of submission. Where, where, where does that come from for us? Now, let's go there. It kind of comes out of not only, we see it around us, but where does that come from? Well, it comes from the fall. You go all the way back into the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, this is what God said to both Adam and Eve 
focusing initially on the woman, but it was applying to both of them. God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth. Any women in here testify to the fact that giving birth is not an easy thing to do? Yeah. I mean, I've never given birth, but uh, you know what? I've seen my wife deliver four children. I've seen or I've heard of other women. I've seen it, it is a tough gig. God went on to say, and ladies, and you will desire to control your husbands, but he will rule over you. You see, our our desire to either want to dominate, to rule over, to control, where does it come from? God says it comes from our fallen nature. We can thank Adam and Eve, uh, our spiritual great, 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 great grandparents, so many generations, that we can thank them for what we've got today because embedded in our uh, in our brokenness, even though we might be still following Jesus, there is this resistance still within us where we say, you know what? Yeah, my position and my identity might have changed. You know, I am a child, I'm a son or a daughter of, 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 of God's, but I still maybe, I struggle at times to want to yield control over. Or uh, uh, blokes, you know what? We kind of want to lord it over women and uh, we want to dominate or we want to rule or we say you know well i'm the boss around here you'll do what i say where does that come from it comes from that what's the solution i want to remind us today that it's as we abide with christ in our abiding relationship remember apart from me we can do nothing Uh, as we abide with christ it is the work of the spirit in our life that enables us to, to fight this urge to dominate or to want to control other people. And I think it's really important in this text to note this. I, I could probably just preach this message on Ephesians 5.21 today. But, you know, what's interesting in this is that Paul isn't saying to some Christians, Ephesus, that they should submit to some others. He's saying to everyone, to all the believers... That, they, that, that, that everyone should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is no privileged group in any of this. Paul's not saying, well, you know what? You came to faith in Jesus first and you're a little bit more mature. And so this group over here, you better make sure that you submit to that group. It's not in there at all. Paul's saying it doesn't matter whether you've just come to faith in Christ or whether you've been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Do you know what? You are to submit to one another out of reverence and respect for Christ. There is a mutual submission, a submission of one another. What Paul is saying is that the follower of Jesus should be neither individualistic, thoughtless, or self-seeking, but rather they should be willing to live in mutual submission to one another out of deep respect for the one who, and if you go back to Ephesians 5, 2, who loved us and gave himself for us. That's what drives submission. That's a completely different perspective than our culture, isn't it? Now, what did this notion of mutual submission really look like? Well, Paul's a smart fella. Uh, You know, if if you'd only got that far in the letter, you'd be thinking, well, I need some examples of what's this actually look like? And Paul's realizing, well, these new believers in Ephesus, they're going to want to have some examples of, of, of what's this look like. And so Paul then begins to give some. I don't think they're exhaustive, but he talks to wives, he talks to husbands, he talks to parents and to children. And this is what he says to the wives. Now, you might be thinking, well, hang on, well, why would he talk to the wives first? Well, I think there's a reason for that, but this is what he says. Verse 21, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, let's just pause there. Why would Christ single out women or wives in particular first? Well, I think there's a reason. And part of it is what was going on culturally or historically in that context. See, to be a woman living in Ephesus during that period of time was to really have no rights. It was a known fact that uh, women living during this time were marginalized. They were deemed to be inferior. Many of them were minimally educated. They didn't own any property. They couldn't be witnesses in a court of law. They couldn't uh, own or uh, inherit property. And as both Aristotle and Josephus said, in all respects, they were deemed to be inferior to men. Men were here and women were down here. And if you were a child, well, your rights were even less. And it's into this context, imagine, it's into this context that women are now suddenly coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And and they're realizing that, you know what, culturally this is maybe what it might have been like. But now we're realizing, Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, uh, male nor female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. They're beginning to realize the reality of what that means in their lives. Their identity, they're grabbing a hold of this identity and they're beginning to to revel and to enjoy and to walk in this newfound freedom that was rightfully theirs to have. But you can imagine in that culture, imagine being an unbeliever in the city of Ephesus, realizing suddenly what's going on and you're beginning to think that this new kind of way, this group of people that were calling themselves followers of Jesus, that they were breaking every social structure in terms of what they were doing. It was deemed to be subversive. I mean, we don't even think twice about it right here in this room. We kind of gather together as male and female. We're all one in Christ. You know, we're going to eat sausages in a moment, but you know, in Ephesus, the males and the females, they would never have had a sausage together. The women were kind of locked away. They were hidden. The men were the prominent ones. We don't think twice about it, but in that context, now suddenly men and women are coming together. They're worshipping together as the early church. They're, they're partaking in the Lord's Supper, which would have been around a meal. It was, uh, it was, it was deemed to be subversive. It was inflammatory. It, it was causing all kinds of ruckus. And what's Paul do? He writes into this context. And he says to them, with this idea of mutual submission, you know, uh, in verse 21, where he said, uh, uh, submit to one another, he now gets a little bit more specific and says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. It's as if he was saying these words. Ladies, wives, I've already talked to you in a really general way of what's it look like to submit yourselves to one another out of respect or reverence for Christ. But in light of this culture and, and what's going on, I also want you to put into practice in a really specific way, I want you to be willing to submit to your own husbands in this special relationship of marriage. Now, this would have still been hard for them. And and Paul, in his goodness, he gives some reasons for it. If you've got your Bibles there, you will see it. It's not like he just said this word, but he kind of backs it up with some different things. He says in verse 22, gives a first reason for it with the, the phrase at the end of verse 22. He says, submit your husbands as you do to the Lord's. What was the driving motive of being willing to do this? 
was primarily not out of her willingness to be obedient to her husband, but it was out of her desire to want to honour and to be obedient to Christ. That makes sense? You go all the way back to Ephesians 5 too, where Paul says about you know, what, what drives this. It's, it, we do it because he's loved us and he's given himself for us. And so Paul's appealing. This is the reason for why you do this. He then gives a, he gives a second reason in verse 23. Uh, it's in those words where he says, "For the husband is the wife, sorry, for the husband is the head of the wife." Now, I want to be really careful with this because I think there isn't any other text in Scripture that has been more abused over the years than this particular verse by Christian men. And sometimes it's been thrown around just kind of, kind of in a mocking way. Oh, you know what? You need to submit to me. You know, we say it to women, you know, and it's like, well, that's not even the context of Paul's teaching. He's actually talking about a wife to her husband. But sadly, over the years, men have actually used this to either verbally batter their wives into submission. And I think if Paul was around today, he would be aghast the way in which uh, we have taken that verse completely out of context and we've used it in ways that have been completely inappropriate. What did he mean? Well, first and foremost, Paul is not suggesting that women or wives were compelled to follow every, uh, uh, to follow every, or any and every desire of their husband who he said was the head of the wife. He's not saying that. And interestingly, he is not saying that the wife should obey her husband either in this. And that gets thrown around. You know, I'm your husband, you need to obey me. No, no. Paul is simply saying here, wives, submit to your husband, for the husband is the head. The husband is your head. What's that word head mean? Well, let me just tell you today, it doesn't mean boss. It doesn't mean I'm in charge, and so you'll just do whatever I want. So, fellas, if that's what you've been using, it's not right. See, the word head suggests responsibility for. That's what it means. And it finds its basis in the created order, where Adam was born first, and as such, the husband has a leadership role. He has a role to love, to nurture, to cherish, that for which he has been given responsibility for. Do you see the difference? That's a huge difference. And the wife, according to Paul, is therefore then he's just asking her to submit to that leadership role that the husband has. Then there's a third reason. And it's still found in this text. And it's seen in this model relationship between Jesus and his church. You know, the reality, that relationship is never questioned, is it? Christ's leadership role, uh, his role as the head of the church is never questioned. I mean, if at some point I was to say I was the head of this church, I would be howled down and rightfully so. Because I'm the head of nothing in that sense. I just play a leadership role here in the life of this church. Jesus Christ is unquestionably the head of this church and every other church, or ought to be the head of every other church. There's only one person who is the head of the church. So what's he talking about here? Well, what Paul is saying is that in this, that a husband or wife, this, this marriage relationship is a model. It is a picture of this relationship that Jesus Christ has within his, within his church. 
And so uh, as a team, as a one flesh team, the husband is the head of that team, just like Christ is the head of the church. And so when a wife submits to her husband, this is not the action of a weak person. Can I just say today, in no way is that the reaction of a weak person. That is the response of a strong, mature woman of God who understands how she's honoring Christ in that relationship. That's what that is. So it's worth maybe me just highlighting a couple of things here. I want to say today that submission, this idea of a wife submitting to her husband, has nothing to do with saying that you are, uh, you are less than the other person. It's not what Paul's saying at all. You see, it has nothing to do with our value, but it has everything to do with the role. And if we want a biblical example of that, we don't have to look any further than Jesus Christ himself. See, we can ask ourselves the question, was Jesus less valuable than the Father or the Holy Spirit? And the answer, the right answer, is no. He wasn't any less in John 5, 19, here's a great example of Jesus submitting to the Father. In John 5, 19, he says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So get your head around that for a moment. See, Christ was in complete submission to the Father, even though he was God himself. And wasn't willing to do anything apart from what he saw the father was doing. You see, it's a role. He was fulfilling a role. He wasn't any less valuable. Both were God. He was heavenly father and he was Jesus. But the son submits to the father in this role that he played. Philippians chapter 2 is worth reading at some point. We don't have time in that. But it's this great kenosis passage where uh, Paul tells us that Jesus emptied himself. He kind of gave up those, the, the rights that he had and he came to earth and, and he came and fulfilled the role as the son in complete submission to the father. See, the idea of submission doesn't equal less than. And neither does it mean that you lose your identity or that you can't have an opinion in marriage. I'm going to give you a great example. My wife has plenty of opinions in our marriage. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but she's always saying different things to me about different things. And if I'm not being a complete knucklehead, the reality is that I would be listening to different things that she is saying to me. In fact, she has certain gifts that I don't have. Isn't that right, honey? Yes. And you have opinions. Yes. And your opinions are often right. <laughs> Do you know, uh, in the Genesis account, in the creation account, it said that God gave or created uh, for man a suitable helper. You know, this idea of suitable was not demeaning in any way. It's just this beautiful picture of God saying, do you know what? I am going to gift to this man uh, a helper, someone who is a compliment, somebody who's got different skills and gifts that are going to compliment in a beautiful way. And marriage, if it's a healthy marriage, should uh, kind of give a really good example of what that looks like. You know, uh, my wife has a gift of discernment. She has an ability to read a situation that, uh, you know, I am way too forgiving. You know, uh, you know, I believe the best in everybody. And so I'm all about giving everybody a go. And sometimes it's to my own peril. 
Uh, and my wife has a way of saying, oh, I'm not so sure about that. You may want to just think about that a bit longer. And if I'm not listening to her, or I'm, if I'm kind of like just blazing down my own path, I'm like, oh, honey, you've been a bit critical and judgmental about that. But time and time again, she's kind of proved herself to be a little bit correct that, you know what, maybe I should have listened to her a little bit more on some of those matters. You see, submission does not mean less than, or it doesn't mean that uh, uh, you don't have your own identity or you are not valued in any of that. It's about a role. It's what Paul's talking about. Now, if you were reading this passage of Scripture and you got to verse 24 and that's where a line was put through it and Paul said, well, it was lovely talking to you. Uh, probably all of the wives at that point were thinking, you know, well, hang on a second, does that all just fall on us? Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He continues on and he now speaks to the men. And you know what the reality is? He gives the men quite a surf. So, fellas, if you're here in this room and you're a husband or you're planning on being a husband, don't tune out on me. You better listen to this because this is what Paul said to the men in Ephesus. He said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Feeling a bit overwhelmed, fellas? Probably should. goes on. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Fellas, this has got something to say to us today. Now, we've got to remember that Christian men living in that context and that culture, they had no idea what it looked like to be a godly husband. For them, it was about sitting back on the couch, remote control. You know, their wives would come and feed them. They would disappear again, take care of the kids. And, and men just dominated women. You know, uh, our culture, probably our pagan, our kind of ungodly culture in, in the West would probably still love to embrace some of that. But, but Paul speaks into that and he speaks into our culture today and says, you know, no, 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 no. That's not the way it's meant to be. Mutual submission, submit to one another out of reverence or respect for Christ. That means that, men, you're going to carry a different relation to, into this as well too. And it's beautiful. It's as if Jesus knew that in calling wives to submit to their husbands, then in him now asking husbands, love your wives, and we're going to talk about this, it's like he was putting something in there to say, you know what, men, you've got a responsibility as well too, and that's to, to, to treat your wife well. See, it's into this context of what he was writing. And what's he say? He says, husbands, love your wives. Now, when we think of the word love, husbands, we're immediately thinking of romance, sex, all those kinds of things that go with that. Unfortunately, that's not what Paul was talking about in this context. Four Greek words for love. Eros, phileo, forgotten the other one, <laughs> and there's agape. Storge, there we go. Thank you. Uh, Paul wasn't used, the only word that he was using in this context was the word agape or agape, however you might choose to say that. And the word, uh, and, and this idea of agape love has nothing to do with romance, friendship or sex, but it's got everything to do with a selfless response. It's a, it's a love that gives with nothing, with no sense of something coming back to you. I Men, it's not you saying, honey, I, I love you and it's got strings attached to it. It's, 
It's a response that is selfless. It's giving themselves away. It's, it's, it's loving for the benefit of the other person. And, and Paul says to these men, he says, husbands, love your wives. It was a safeguard for these women. Now, why would Paul lay such an expectation on these Christian husbands? Well, A, not only was it the right response in that culture uh, to bring a different perspective of the way in which men would treat women, but Paul ultimately says in these same verses that husbands should love their wives this way because their relationship was to be patterned after Jesus Christ and the church. What's the pattern? Well, we see it in there. Paul says, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, husbands ought to love their wives, just as Christ does the church. In other words, the expectation upon men, upon Christian husbands, was being defined Christologically. You want to know what it should look like? Well, Christ is the benchmark. He is the example, Christian men, followers of Jesus. What does it look like for you to love your spouse, to love your wife? You are to love them just like Christ loved the church, gave his life up for the church. So in that sense, what does it look like practically? Well, a husband needs to determine the needs of his wife. He is the one who is responsible for, he is the head, and then he submits himself to her by giving her what she needs at the expense of himself. I want to say today, what woman wouldn't want to submit to that kind of leadership in a home? Because it's honoring of her. It's putting her interests ahead of what the husband's interests might be. Who's got the tougher gig? I think it's the, the fellas that have got the tougher gig. According to Paul, according to God's word, that's the biblical role. Now, I'll give you just a sidebar here. It's interesting, this whole teaching of Paul here finishes up with him saying, however, uh, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. And I thought about that this week. And I thought, why wouldn't have Paul just said, husbands love your wives and wives love your husbands? Singles out two completely different ways. Now, I've got no strong basis for this, but this is just kind of a, a side note that maybe you can take away and think about. Maybe in your life groups this week you can talk more about it. But I think it has something to do with the way in which we're designed. God, we've been designed very differently. We've got different roles and we respond in different ways. And when I think about it, and as I look at the way in which relationships often operate, uh, we're wired differently. What does a woman, what does a wife want in her life? Uh, she wants to be nurtured, cherished, and pursued. What's a fellow want? Well, he enjoys being loved, but ultimately above all other things, what a man wants, he wants to be respected. So ladies, practically speaking, what's it look like? Do you know what? You can tell your husband that you love him, but tell him why you respect him. Tell him why you respect his leadership in the home. Tell him why you respect what he is doing as the leader of your home. You watch him step into that chest back, shoulder, you know, chest forward, shoulders back a little bit, and they'll, they will step into their role. Men, when your wife tells you that she loves you, don't just kind of come back and say, oh, I love you too, honey, and kind of move on. You know what? Tell her why you love her. Tell her why she is your first love that you cherish deeply, that uh, she is the standard of beauty in your life. You know, tell her these things. I know. Dave did a great job last night at our blokes night where we had kind of all-you-could-eat souvlakis. He kind of spoke into the lives of fellas and just, I'm using this as an example here. He said, you know, I, I, I struggle with romance. 
But I think he's doing a really good example. He shared a couple of examples with us. Oh, I get it, fellas. We do it. None, a whole bunch. Was not, we're not usually romantic at all. We kind of pull out all the stops, maybe on Valentine's Day. or Do you know what? We don't need an excuse for that. We need to love. We need to cherish, nurture, pursue our wives. And so Paul says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Well, Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on. He has something still to say. To children and to parents. This is another relationship that we find within this home environment. And Paul says, Ephesians 6 verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Interesting, isn't it, that uh, we often say, Wives should, uh, you need to obey me. That's not what Paul said. He said, wives submit. But then he says, children, you're to obey Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord's. Let me just say a few brief things here. You know what? Kids even have a role within the home environment. If there's any kids here in this room, you're still living within the home environment and you're under the... The, uh, the leadership of your mum and your dad because you haven't left the home environment, this has something to say to you in terms of what God's design is for your life. You see, while you're in the home, God expects you to be learners. And how do you learn in that environment? It's by being obedient to your parents. But parents, this also has some big responsibilities for us. God calls parents to disciple their kids because it's our job to raise our kids, to train our kids, to help them to understand what it looks like to love and to follow Jesus. And can I just say to all the parents here in this room, hey, it's good to have you here at church. That's a really good thing. But just bringing your kids to church 1.7 times a month, putting them in our kids' programs, and then thinking they're going to be raving followers of Jesus, it's not going to work. Hoping that the church is going to do it for you, it was never God's design and intent. The church is meant to complement what you do, but we aren't meant to disciple your kids. Do you see the difference in all of that? So good on you for coming to church because do you know what happens in the church? Yeah, we compliment and we build into, we should be doing something just to compliment what you are already doing in your home environments. That's the way it's meant to be. Don't leave it to the church because I can tell you now, we might get your kids, if you're only coming to church once or twice a month, imagine we might get you for 26 weeks of the year and your kids get maybe an hour or 75 minutes uh, of a week with some spiritual input into their life. Do you want to know how much the, the culture is discipling your kids? 24-7. See the difference? Don't bank on the church uh, helping your kids be raving followers of Jesus. It's got to come out of your home. And, you know, and why do you want to have them in a church environment? Because do you know what? The church is the body of Christ. And, and where our gaps might be, other people are helping your kids to, to love and to follow Jesus as well too. You imagine if you've got them at home and they hardly come to church at all and you're trying to give some instruction. Do you know what they're going to do? They're going to grow up thinking that you are just a weirdo because you are the only one or maybe it's the only one who says, oh, you can't do this and you can't do this and you should do this and you should do this. Do you know when you come to church, what they realize is that there's a whole bunch of other people that, that love and follow Jesus and they're speaking to the lives of your kids and they're cheering on them what you're doing in the home environment as well. We need each other. This is the body of Christ and we grow up and we become like him when we're doing all of that. I don't want to linger here for too much, but the reality is that, you know what, we can easily exasperate our children. I've been guilty of all of that. 
And there's a chance that we're sitting here in this room today and maybe some of us as parents are feeling, maybe we're feeling a bit beaten up or we're feeling a bit convicted and challenged in this moment. Can I just say that was not the intent of this message at all today. Just talking about God's design for the home. The reality is we all make mistakes. We do. We often laugh, uh, well, there's things about our parenting that uh, we've had to... uh, Oh, that, that didn't work so well. You know what? Uh, we've often said to our eldest child, we, we've asked for his forgiveness and said, mate, you know what? You were the guinea pig. Yeah. You were our practice child. We had no idea what we were doing as parents. And so uh, all the things that we kind of got wrong, we kept working on the others. And by the time we got to the fourth one, well, he's the perfect child. And uh, the, the youngest one <laughs> takes great delight in saying, yeah, I am the favored one. I'm the perfect one. Um, now, I say that tongue in cheek because the reality is I'm just trying to identify and say, you know what? None of us are perfect when it comes to being parents. You know, by God's grace, you know what, uh, in our mistakes and our shortcomings, you know, uh, either a, our spouse or a grandparent or a parent or whatever that might, other people are speaking to life that we need other people in that space cheering us on as well too. And can I just urge us, don't wait until things go suddenly pear-shaped to think, oh, hang on, what, how am I going to be discipling my kids? If you're a young parent here in this room today, start today. Really think about how you're going to intentionally do it. If you're a grandparent, keep thinking about how you're going to encourage your kids and all of that as well too. One of my greatest delights is that every couple of weeks, Julie and I, I kind of shift my days around and we go down to Melbourne and I hang out with my granddaughter. I just love it because I get an opportunity to kind of keep speaking into that next generation and encouraging little Chicago, that uh, reminding her that she's loved, that she's cherished, that uh, she's a child of God uh, and that she's got... Uh, that God... that. God wants her to, to, to follow his son Jesus all the days of her life. You know, keep doing all those kinds of things. All right, let's, let's wrap this up. What's all that mean for us as we talk about the home environment? Well, let me maybe just make some quick application and then uh, our worship team is going to come back up and we're going we're gonna to pray and uh, we'll finish and uh, we'll go out and enjoy some snags together. Here's some things that I think we need to be thinking about this week on our journey of becoming like him. Fellas, let me start with you. You know what? We are called to love our wives well. We're called to lead our families well. What's that look like? That means that we're looking for every opportunity that we've possibly got to speak into the lives of our wives, to to love them intentionally, to find ways in which we are setting an environment within our home that we can nourish, spiritually nourish our kids and lead them well. That's what that looks like. And so I want to encourage us that today as we think about, you know, we're on this journey of following Jesus and becoming like him. What do I need to do maybe a little bit more intentionally in my life? Just think of one thing. Maybe you haven't been loving your wife well, or you're not loving your kids well, you're not leading them. Find the one thing and put it into practice. And ask the Spirit of God to give you uh, the the power and the strength to do that really well. Ladies, can I encourage you to let your fellows lead? I realize that sometimes that can be really hard because often, sometimes us fellows, we've abdicated We've gone for the couch, we've gone for the remote control, we've gone for the hobbies that we like to do. And you know what? And so you've had to then step into those gaps. Well, as us fellows are being challenged about the role that we've got to play, would you then let your fellow, let your bloke in your life, let him lead. 
That's okay if he's going to fail. He may fall short in some of that. You know, that's how we learn. But if you keep taking it from us all the time, you know what we will do is we'll just go back to the couch, back to the TV, back to our man caves, back to the places in which we feel safe because that's, we can control all of that and we won't lead. Let us lead and cheer us on. Tell us why you respect us in all of that sense. Parents, maybe grandparents as well too. That's a huge challenge for us when we think about how are we continuing to shape and disciple our children. You know, our culture says to us, do you know what? Success as a parent is all about seeing your kids get into university or to get that scholarship. Can I say today that whilst, you know, that's not a bad thing, that's not the ultimate end goal of your role as a parent, you ultimately want to see them love and follow Jesus. That's the most important thing. Because if your kids get to university and they're not following Christ at all, that would grieve me. I'd rather see my kids love uh, Jesus and follow him all the days of their life than have this incredible career. You know, that's what's most important. So we've got to weigh up our priorities and say, okay, where am I putting all my energy into? Have I been kind of sucked into the things of this world where they say, you know what, it's about all these academic opportunities and sporting opportunities. And so we are so out of balance. And then we kind of turn up at church, you know what, 1.7 times a month. And we hope that's going to be enough. Do you know what? Think about the priority. And it's never too late. It's never too late to put things in place. Don't wait until things go pear-shaped. And if there's any kids here in this room, children, teenagers, and you're listening to me today, you know what? One of the best things you can do is to look up to your parents and let them lead you and show you what it looks like to love and to follow Jesus all the days of your life. Be a learner. That's what submission looks like. Submit to one another out of reverence or respect to Christ. You know, as I finish this morning... You know, it is my prayer, really, it is my prayer that right across this room and online as well today in this moment is there there would be this sense of, you know what, I'm going to respond with some intentionality. And that as we do that, there would be a blessing that would fall upon our families and upon our home environments and the places in which God has called us to lead as we become more and more like him. Would you join me? Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray for every person that's represented in this service today. Father, there's homes here. People are coming from homes that have been two-parent homes, single-parent homes, homes that have modeled what it looks like to really, really well, to love and to follow Jesus, and other homes homes that have been a little bit dysfunctional and, and haven't kind of known what that's looked like, and people have had to really struggle to put into practice what it looks like to love and to follow Jesus. Father, you know these relational environments so well. There are single people in here in this room. There are people that, are, that have got broken relationships and, and working their way through all of that. Father, I thank you that, uh, God, you are incredibly gracious. And as we hold up your image, your design for what the home environments are meant to look like today, Father, you remind us that apart from you, we can do nothing. So God, I pray into the thoughts that are happening right now, Lord, where there might be guilt and shame. Father, I pray that you would uh, remind people that the foot of cross, that's just taken away. And that today is a brand new day. And that we want to step into and embrace, God, your design for our lives. Father, I pray there would be a blessing that would fall on lives, on, 
on men and women, on families, on homes, on marriages, on children, on parents and on grandparents, that as we step into your design for our lives, God, would there be a sense of all these environments flourishing? Lord, out of that, there would be just another generation that would grow up to know you, to love you and to follow you all the days of their lives because we're learning to do it your way. God, would your blessing fall upon our efforts, sometimes as maybe as, as small and insignificant they might seem. God, would your blessing fall today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.